0: Welcome back to Creators of Color. This is episode three. I'm Avi Gandhi, your host and the creator of Creators of Color. Today we're talking to CeCe Shia. She is a TikToker, podcaster, soon to be author. She is Yale educated, Harvard Law, big law, attorney turned content creator. So really excited to, to dig in with her. All right, Cece, welcome to Creators of Color. Thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I was very excited to hear from you.
0: So Cece and I have known each other for like a very long time. One of the best educated people I know. You beat out my brother and ended up at Yale uh, with me. You were a freshman while I was a senior. And then afterwards, you went to Harvard Law, got a law degree, and then went into Big Law, spent time in Big Law, and then threw it all away to become a creator. (laughs) Uh, did I get that summary right?
1: Yeah, no that, that that's pretty accurate much like my parents' chagrin. Um, but I do like to say that in general there's no such thing as like a wasted endeavor. So I do use a lot of my like law skills in what I currently do and I think it's like actually helped. So, you know, those 3 years and tons of or 3 years of education and then Years of practice aren't for naught.
0: Tell us about your content. Like, what uh, you know? I know you you've, you started out doing uh, kind of content for aspiring lawyers, uh, and you've evolved from there. You know, we had talked a little bit about how you want to get more into like philosophy and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, we'd love to hear kind of where it's been, and where it's going.
1: Yeah, so I started off, like you said, just kind of vlogging about my life, which was my life as a lawyer, which I did most of the time, and also answering questions from people about uh, how to become a lawyer, what being a lawyer is like, how things like, Elitism and prestige play into the law industry because it, they do play a large part. But I think for a lot of people, that's an opaque part of the industry that you don't know about until you're there, and it's helpful to just see the invisible ropes ahead of time. So I made a lot of content around that, and then after a while, actually felt a little not like disgusted, but was like s- started wondering, like, what am I putting out in the world? Like, what do I want to motivate people to do? Like, I really liked helping people navigate the ins and outs of um, things like the prestige elements in law and like the financial aspects of law, because I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that once you become a lawyer, you're like automatically rich. And that's just not really the case. So kind of educating people on the realities of something. And um, that became more what I was interested in doing. My parents told me that life was easy. It would be easy if I just did XYZ, if I just went to a good college, if I just got a good job, then my life would be easy and I would have it figured out. And it's funny because I'm what 31 now and I'm still like, wow, life is hard. Life is harder than anyone told me about and I can't even imagine like what other people feel about the difficulties of being alive. So um, I'm now making content a bit more about like, with that in mind. So like, yeah, demystifying what it's like to be a lawyer. Is it for you? Maybe, uh, maybe not. But like, we should be able to talk about it a bit, little bit more.
0: Tell me about your family. Tell me about your kind of uh, childhood experience here.
1: My family's from China. I was born in China and I moved to the US when I was like four. And I think had a pretty typical immigrant <laughs> Chinese experience where my parents were like really, really valued education. And they kind of came to America to be in this, like, land of opportunity, right? Like, they really did see America as, like, a place where they could have different opportunities than they had back in China. So my mom was kind of like a prototypical tiger mom in that way. So it just had a lot of cultural pains, really, as I entered my, like, adolescence with them uh, in terms of they had one idea of how... I should live my life and I had a different idea of what I wanted to have in my life. So there was this like constant tension and struggle. But at the end of the day, like, I think they were really always, they wanted me to succeed and have stability in a way that uh, they didn't have as much in China. So that underpins, I think, a lot of my first
0: part of life. Certainly like the children of immigrants or people of color from lower uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, like- their parents wanted them to go to college because they thought it was going to be a step up in society. Yep. Right. And, but like they didn't have the money to pay for it. Maybe some of them were able to benefit from scholarships and that kind of thing, but uh, otherwise they were taking student loans. Now yep. they're in debt. Are they really, have they really moved up in society? I mean, maybe.
1: Not to the degree that like, I think when your parents tell you, Hey, you know, go to college, it'll change your life. Um, not to that same degree. And then you're like, you're sitting there and you're like, what the hell? What like what were the actual rules of the system? I don't know because clearly I was told to do one thing, and now I'm here somewhere else.
0: Right, and and you, I mean, we grew up in the same town. I think maybe yeah. you were in San Ramon, so one town over. Yeah. Um, these are primarily white towns, right? Um, so what was that experience? like for you obviously you know for me and ash like growing up indian you know the simpsons basically ruined our childhood uh i'm curious kind of were there similar stereotypes cultural appropriations and characters etc that kind of defined the tone of your youth
1: yeah i mean i do think that i was in for a huge culture shock when I did move to the US. Uh, This was, I did like a summer camp in California uh, when I first got here and people, there were these like two girls who actually did, uh, they always asked me to say thank you. And I would, and they would like laugh. And I was like, Oh, like we're all laughing together. But, uh, they actually made me say that because I couldn't say like th sound, the like th sound yet. So it came out like, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I think a lot of the early, media portrayals, right, of Chinese Americans, um, of Chinese people, uh, had to do with like that accent that I think we right. all are really familiar with. So having to, uh, I think later on coming to terms with the fact that, uh, I just didn't see a lot of portrayals in media. And whenever I thought of like who I was in my head or who I wanted to be, uh, it was always this like white girl. And it it was like a very jarring experience to be like, oh, I think the who I want to be in my head is different from who I actually can be at all. It's just always a little bit surreal to see that your own experience is so different from others and have that like proximity, but not closeness, if that makes sense.
0: I could relate to that. I feel like uh, growing up, everyone I aspired to be was a white guy. Yeah. I think it was like the first time that I was like, oh, like Indians can be cool. I could be a cool Indian guy was like Harold and Kumar, right? Like (laughs) Cal Penn or Galpin Modi is his real name. Uh, Like his performance was the most relatable Indian character, person, celebrity, whatever it is that like I had ever seen.
1: It's really jarring to realize that like uh, these things that we see on our screens impact us so much because I think growing up, I was like, eh, who cares? Like, I, I'm not impacted by all of that. But the first time you like see something and you resonate with it, you're like, oh, wow. Like this is a different reality.
0: I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, my brother, he's a professor at UCLA and he still pronounces his last name Gandhi, right? Which is the Westernized pronunciation. It's G-A-N-D-H-I. So the D is duh in this Mm -hmm. language, but the Indian pronunciation is Gandhi, the. Right. And it's like Asperg, Gandhi, but there's no way to convey those noises, those sounds in our alphabet. And so like even my name, my full name is Avinash. It's Vinash, not Avinash and not Avi. Mm-hmm. But the only way to spell that out would be like U-H-V-I. And even then, like, does that fully capture the sound? not really it's just something I've been thinking about a lot it's like it's frustrating that you know like I keep seeing in on LinkedIn people posting like sales tactics and one of them is always like oh people's name is the most beautiful sound to them well not really like when people say Avi I'm like "Uh, don't say my name you know Uh, and like I don't but I also don't like the sound of Avinash that sounds like foreign because I grew mm-hmm. up in America. So now I'm like disconnected from my own name.
1: No, I feel that. So uh, my actual Chinese name is Xi Yi. And I, you know, that that was my legal name for a really long time. And then in college, I actually did go through the whole process of a name change to, you know, formally Cecilia, short name Cece. But uh, I really did do the legal changing of my name to something that was like Western and was... I think at that time, I just thought it was like a necessary thing to do in order to advance in the world. And like we'd all seen those studies, right, about resumes and how if you just change the name, you get a different response. And um, right now, I feel like a little more ashamed of it. But back then, and I think, you know, especially growing up, going to college, trying to just achieve, 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 I try to do it so much on the existing world's terms, right? It's like, oh, it's just what I have to do. Um, and not only now as our world, I think gets a little bit better about recognizing all of these issues that we're talking about. Am I able to stop and think, oh, like, is this actually what I want to be like playing into? Um, is this the structure I want to uphold?
0: Yeah, that's such a hard stand to take though, right? Like I've had similar experiences where like, you know, if I put Avinash on the resume, Avinash, Say I can't even pronounce my own name uh, <laughs> on the resume versus Avi, like you get different responses. And it's still like you—I don't know, like I don't know if anyone has noticed, but like over the last couple of months, I keep changing my LinkedIn profile name because I'm like, do I want it to be Avi? Do I want it to be Avinash? Do I want it to be Avinash with Avi in quotes? Do I want it to be Avi with Avinash in quotes? And it's just like. I don't know. Because like, yeah, like I want to do the right thing. And I want to take a stand for like my culture and for other people of color and other people from other cultures. But like, I also want to get clients. And like, if I'm applying for jobs, I want to get the job. And like, you know, Ash told me that when he was applying as Ashwin Gandhi, like out of Harvard for jobs, like someone actually told him they weren't sure until they spoke to him on the phone, if he'd speak English well, (laughs) you know? Oh, yeah. And so like, (laughs) <laughs> These things happen. What's the line between doing the right thing like from the perspective of trying to push society forward like Can you alone push society forward? Can I alone push society forward? Can the two of us push society forward? Or like, should we just try to get the job, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's always the hard thing about like being a person of color, right? Is from a young age, I think you're aware of like the multiplicity of identities that you embody. And, you know, you are slightly different with your parents than you are with your classmates than you are like with your my. Chinese friends, you with like your Indian friends. It's like just different. And uh, being aware that we all had to like take on these roles at points, at least we're intentional sometimes about what hat we're putting on. And I think that's at least something is like being intentional about what role you put on. Like, yes, do I feel some guilt sometimes about playing into the system? Yeah, but it also means that when I decide to do it I'm making that choice rather than just unintentionally doing it and when I get the chance to not play into the system I will do that as well and I think that's kind of the beauty of growing up
0: uh different let's jump into uh your career as a creator so uh
1: all seven months of it (laughs)
0: Well, look, you know, you've you've built an audience, uh, a, a large audience. You are now signed with a book agent and and shopping a book around, which I know we talked a couple of months ago, and that was like kind of your like big dream is the next step. So you're mm-hmm. making it happen, which is exciting. You made a a big move out uh, from, you know, ostensibly a c- clear cut. Path to riches and success in big law into this murky and uncertain world of creatordom. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I, I get this question sometimes about like, oh, how do you decide which route to take, right? Versus when it comes to a stable job versus like something more risky, like a creator venture. And I, I, I still am really like risk averse at heart. Like I became a lawyer. Like that is, that is a part of who I am. So I didn't really start thinking seriously about whether I wanted to be a creator until, uh, much more recently. So maybe like a year and a half after I st- started posting content, I started making TikToks during the pandemic, as I think like a lot of people <laughs> did when we were all stuck at home. And I was just honestly like kind of depressed because I was just home all the time and I'm a pretty extroverted person. I, all my creative endeavors, um, I did dance with outside dance company, they shut down and I was like, you know what? I just, my birthday was coming up and i was like my birthday i just want to do something a little bit different than what i'd been doing every day which was just like going to my desk at home and then going to my couch so that's when i was like all right i'll just post a TikTok. like who cares um and it went a little viral and that's when i realized that oh maybe there was an audience for things that i wanted to make and create and i started getting a lot of questions about my life about what being a lawyer was like and i started like answering those More and more. Um, And about like, uh, what, a year and a half after this, I started making creator friends and had really people I looked up to who had also recently made the jump to full time creator. So I talked to them about their decision. Um, One of them, Joanne of the Korean Vegan, she was like a partner at a law firm. Like she was honestly like my idol in my head because she had all of the hallmarks of something that I thought like I should want to Right, partner at a law firm, um, like awesome creator career. So she ended up taking a step back from partnership. And we had a long conversation about it and like why and like what I should expect if I wanted to go down the partnership route and I think somewhere along the way I was like oh man like d- is this what I want to commit to and luckily she did she had a book coming out um it came out last year a cookbook and she was like oh well you want to write like you've mentioned that a few times why don't i introduce you to my lit agent and that kind of was the beginning of the end when i talked to the lit agent and he was interested in what i had to say and thought that uh like really believed in me in a capacity that no one had believed in me before right like i think my parents were always like you're good at school i think you'd be a great lawyer doctor like banker like they believed in me in those ways but i had never had someone um established in the industry like believe in me in a creative endeavor. And he was just like, no, I I like you. Like, I think we should try to make this work. But in trying to write this book proposal, I could not find the time with my law firm job. Like I would sit down and be like, oh, time to do it. But then an email would come up. So it got to the point where I was like, if I want to make this happen, if I want to try this creative endeavor at all, I kind of have to like jump in, um, like dive in. I can't just like keep one foot out the door and one foot on the other side. Uh, And that kind of put me in a different position where I started thinking more about like then how to make the exit, planning a little in terms of like researching um, the industry, researching how people make a living in this industry, talking to uh, influencer managers to try and figure out like what they do, what the landscape was like. And after a few months of that, that was when I was finally like, okay, I feel like it will be a risk, but it will be a calculated risk. And, you know, during my discussion with Joanne too, she also was like, yeah, I think it's a risk, sure, but it's a calculated risk. And at this point, right, I think, with how uncertain being a creator is, a calculated risk is all you can take. It's the best you can hope for.
0: It's a good point. And also, especially in the current economic environment, <laughs> there's risk wherever you are. You could be at a billion dollar cost. I mean, you know, Intel is laying thousands of people off. At this point, there's no such thing as stability, right? So why not pursue your dream?
1: When push comes to shove, like they will lay you off. They, they don't really owe you anything. And I think we're all coming to terms that this is happening on many careers that we otherwise like wouldn't conceive of.
0: The idea of stability is kind of a farce.
1: Yeah, it's it's a comforting illusion though, you know? It's like right. we want to believe it, in it because we want to feel safe, like it makes sense.
0: Well, and I feel like our parents, you know, at least my parents coming from <laughs> immigrant family, I'm assuming yours too, like my parents' friends were all like in the early dot-com boom and made lots of money, but my parents were like, they were like, stabilities, so, like they worked for the government. And even then, like, In 2008, my dad got laid off. He worked for the local government and he just like happened to be just recent enough, like which was like six, seven years at the County of San Mateo that like, that was it. It's like, there really is no such thing. So... Under those circumstances, like, why not bet on yourself, right? It's
1: either you make the decision to do it yourself or someone else makes it for you, right? And at least when you make it yourself, you might be able to control the circumstances a little around which you do it.
0: As someone with a, you know, Chinese background, um, as, you know, an immigrant and child of immigrants, like, becoming a creator, was that difficult for you within your family, within your Community, Like, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, weirdly enough, uh, my parents were way more supportive of it than I would have thought. I mean, my mom was like a major tiger mom back in the era, but she herself has gone through some career changes since. And I think going through this experience of where you thought something was like forever and then realizing that it's not, it does change your perspective in some way. So when I told her that I was planning on leaving my job, she was really supportive and was just like, you know, you tried the thing and we work so much that we shouldn't do something that we're not like super passionate about. Like I support you in this fully. My dad was a bit more like, I thought you'd have a house first, but uh, I guess not. So you can always move back home. So in like their way, they were, I think like weirdly supportive.
0: That's really interesting that your mom had that career pivot and like that probably, that experience for her probably created some empathy that she might not have had had she maintained the stability of like, you know, her researcher role that she probably got as an immigrant and thought of as stable from like this fear-based immigrant thinking perspective.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think oftentimes like we think of our parents in our community as uh, static, right? Like Mm. in our minds, they are the same community that we grew up with when we were like, you know 8 to 18 but they're changing too like i think they're having experiences too they're also growing up in america or like growing up in different places and uh i think giving them that uh empathy as well uh i think you'd be surprised i was really surprised by how well received my um career pivot was and i think it is like due to my parents also having grown up a lot since in, but in my head like they're still what they're like when I was like 14 and uh, trying to hang out with boys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. A- and you're kind of blowing my mind. Cause now I'm like thinking about like how supportive my dad has been over the last like several yeah. years of like my, you know, I left a job at WME to like to try to start a VR company. And then like after Patreon <laughs> now I'm doing this consulting thing and like, he's been so supportive and I'm like, Oh yeah. Cause he actually, he got laid off. He had to, he did a startup thing for a while. Like now he's working for a stable job again, but like he can empathize.
1: Yeah. Did high school hobby yeah. like ever conceive of the possibility?
0: No, not ever. <laughs> not ever. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Any negative experiences like any, you know, because of your background being a creator?
1: I think the hardest negative experience currently is dealing with an industry that I think is still fairly white and dominated by uh, just a lot of uh, stereo typical actions and thinking that you would think of when you do have like an industry who, whose decision makers are all thinking from one perspective rather than a more like diverse perspective. So I think the most negative things have been just uh, when I was maybe shopping around for a manager, I got a lot of feedback that was like, we love what you're doing let's stay in touch. It was a lot of like, we want you to prove yourself before like we will take a chance on you. And having creator friends who are like really all uh, races and ethnicities and uh, genders, it does seem like that more often happens to creators of color. Whereas, uh, you know, if you are a hot white girl, you are probably being scouted from the moment you like have 5,000 followers, like someone will reach out to you and be like, Hey, we like you, we want to, and i have like, I've known this to happen. Like we do, creators do talk to each other and we do hear about the people who get reached out to at 5,000 followers. And like a manager agent is like, we see you're a star and we're going to help you. And I just, that's not something that really happens as often when you're creator of color like I even the good meetings I had I might come back to and then they're like you know what I think you're still too small or like you have to grow your Instagram there's just like always some obstacle that you have to overcome
0: are the managers that are kind of doing this or like signing, you know, white creators when they're smaller and putting a higher bar for creators of color, are those primarily white managers or are you also observing it from managers of color?
1: I think they're predominantly white managers. Uh, I actually didn't talk to many like managers of color, maybe like two of them. And they were honestly the most encouraging out of all of them. But it's still, I think even at like the management, uh, like agent level, it's still like really, really white. Yeah, uh, uh, I think this is true of like a lot of marketing, advertising
0: roles. Well, and and it's certainly true of like the management, talent management, talent representation community. Are there any ways that uh, your background has kind of worked in your favor?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a part of like a. AAPI group chat on Instagram. And it's helpful to just know that there are other people who like have your back and like would be willing to talk to you about certain things and go to bat for you when it's really necessary because we realize like how hard it is sometimes to really break out and like have the opportunity even to reach the broader audience. So I think Joanne's really been an amazing you know, advocate for me and that she like made herself available, like referred me to her agent. Like that is an awesome thing. And I know for her, like DNI is like a huge thing. I mean her content is all about like Korean vegan food, right? So she's just like has her pulse on this like cultural aspect and like this need to raise the profiles of uh diverse voices. So I think being able to that like is a huge help is Uh, it's a smaller group, sure. But because it's a smaller group, I think we are all way more willing to like help each other out and like lift each other up rather than, you know, try to tear each other down in any way, because we've realized like we need to stick together.
0: And what kind of ways are y'all lifting each other up?
1: I think a lot of it sometimes is, uh, you know, telling about like invites or like industry events, meeting up. Uh, Honestly, emotional support is one of the most helpful things (laughs) as being a creator. It's a mentally hard life. Like I wouldn't say say it's like harder than any other job because it really isn't, but it is a mentally difficult life and being able to talk to others about it in a way is in really invaluable. Uh, also learning things like from talking to, she is, uh, she is like a woman of color manager. She actually told me that for months, like whether it's like a, a heritage month, right? Like API heritage month, when you get brand outreach for content during those months you should actually like charge higher and i was like wow this wasn't even something i knew like thank you for the information so like being able to tell you how to like leverage yourself differently that especially because uh you you just don't get access to this information right it's a lot of like information asymmetry and being able to like share the information with each other is i think just like really really important as well as like help each other through the emotional times of like creating another day.
0: That's really interesting. It's like um, if you had a manager, like if you were able to get through the gatekeepers into like the gatekept system, you might have that information. I also wonder like, would a white manager know that? Like yeah. if, they, if a white manager primarily works with white creators, like right. are they going to know to ask for more during like, API month or black history month or whatever it might be.
1: Right. Exactly. When you have like, I don't know, a POC manager, like I think they're kind of attuned to the different buttons and like levers that you can push and pull in a way that if you've built a career, never having to notice that, like why would you know if they exist?
0: Like this conversation and like the two conversations I've had for the, uh, for the podcast, otherwise are kind of like blowing my mind because I've never really talked about this in the context of like the creator economy or entertainment. Uh And like, you know, it's almost like a taboo thing. It's like a little scary, you know, like, and I was like, I was in the mothership, right? I was like at WME and, uh, and I was like the only person of color, uh, on the team for, for a significant period of time. But even then, like, you know, I'm not perfect in that sense either, right? Like when I was talking to King Russell and, you know, he was talking about how he didn't get on the BET red carpet for several years, even though like I was on his team because I'm not in the black community. I didn't even think about, you know, yeah. should we reject the BET, right? And so like, like it's never going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Like, the only yeah. way it's perfect is, like, through self-segregation. They all, like, if I worked exclusively with Indian people, all right, well, then they might think to all of the Indian brands and media companies or whatever to reach out to. But, like, they're not going to know the mainstream, if you will, or, mm-hmm. like, other niches, right? Like, I'm into anime, but they're not going to think to reach out to Japanese companies or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, it's almost like diversity, broad diversity, right? Like, not just, like, people like you all kinds of people around you is ultimately like what serves the best outcomes for everyone.
1: I love that there's all these like niches now cropping up and even in podcasting, right? There's like, so there's podcasts that are so, so niche. And I'm like, I love this. I love that. Now we're in a world where we can really I guess like fly our freak flag a little bit more when it comes to what we're thinking about.
0: You're obviously a creator on the internet. You're a woman. You're a person of color. So I imagine that you experience toxicity uh, of the internet. You know, hate, negativity, whatever it might be. Like, have you had a? Have you felt a lot of that or or some of that? How have you kind of dealt with it? And has it changed over time at all?
1: Yeah, I mean. The first time you go viral, right, is an exciting and terrible time.
0: <laughs> I always say,
1: um, like, it's, it's exciting because you're like, oh, wow, something I made is uh, gaining traction. You get this, like, feeling of excitement because you think what you put out there is resonating with the world in some way. And at the end of the day, like, I think being a creator is wanting to put something out in the world that resonates with other people, right? Um, so that's the exciting part. But I would sit there and, like, read comment sections and it would... Always be something about, uh, you know, my race, my gender. Uh, I think you kind of have to come face to face with just how toxic the internet can be. And in the beginning, I did go through many months of trying to figure out how to orient myself with respect to toxicity, because I I grew up kind of as a people pleaser. Surprise, surprise. And like being, seeing how many people hated me um, on, be, just based upon like what I looked like, um, or because they didn't like something I said, so they thought they would attack something about my heritage. That was really jarring. It's also kind of alienating on a deeper level and i think that's the hardest part is like you feel alone again and mm. the whole point of creating is to not feel alone i think or at least for me but over time i think you know developing this support network of other creators um both like poc and like you know white they really help in keeping your why in mind even though there is a lot of toxicity
0: well it sounds like the toxicity that you've experienced As a woman, as a person of color, has... A little bit sort of, it's almost like a double-edged sword against like the benefits and like kind of feeling closer to people and being able to share your experiences.
1: Yeah, it's hard because you also want to be close to your supporters, right? Like the people who you do help feel less alone um, and who do like support you. So by putting in that like layer, you're also kind of distancing yourself from them. Well,
0: what's next for you? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, I am currently shopping my book proposal or Around to publishers, which is very exciting.
0: What's it called? Do you have a name for it yet?
1: Yeah. So the tentative title, I don't know. Maybe the publisher will ask me to change it, but it's called Big Bad Law, and it will kind of be a recounting of some of the things that we had talked about on, you know, in in this podcast, which is how the structures of big law, how like the practices really contribute to um, a system that is not doing what it's supposed to do, right? Like Mm. what we think it's supposed to do. I I think one of the most jarring things about entering the law firm environment is I assume that uh, all the structures, all the policies would make sense. But then I saw like, Many things that, like, didn't make sense. Many things that honestly, like, perpetuate pushing out of, like, minorities among, like, partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of practices that contribute to staying quiet uh, when sexual harassment happens. And I was like, man, this is, like, the law. Like, I thought this was, you know, law and order like the reverence I had for the law and it just was not playing out um internally in a way and I was like, this is kind of a commentary on just how our systems and structures and policies are failing us in a way. So, oh yeah. And then my other I started a podcast like four weeks ago and it's been oh it's been a process. But it's called currently workshopping and It's
0: hard, right? Make everyone's <laughs> like, oh making a podcast. It's easy. You're just talking to Mike. I'm like, this is like one of the hardest things I've ever done. I'm terrible right? at this. But like uh, you know it's it's practice you have
1: to view it as practice you have to view it as like being terrible publicly over and over again until one day you're not as terrible
0: yeah it's and and you know I'm, I've never really shied away from uh making a fool of myself in public but like I'm about to do it on LinkedIn and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Apple and it's gonna be something so
1: right that's the hardest thing to get over, I think, um, especially if you come from like kind of this like overachieving background with like tiger parents, is like this idea that you will do things imperfectly and you will do them imperfectly publicly.
0: Like yeah. that's. Oh man, that, I didn't even think about that. Yeah.
1: That was, it is what
0: it is. You just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to get a, it's okay to get a B. You know, it's okay yeah. to get a C, to be honest. Like,
1: totally. Consistent C's still get degrees, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But yes, this podcast is kind of about what we've been talking about um, kind of just analysis into modern issues of work, um, like culture and
0: being alive. That's awesome. Uh, so, currently workshopping. Uh, I assume everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Everywhere you get your podcasts, you're right. We
0: we love it. We love it. Uh, All right, let's talk about some advice that you have for other creators. You know, the purpose of this podcast Mm -hmm. is to inspire and enable uh, a new generation of creators of color. I know you've started relatively recently, but it's been a crash course, I think. So if you were to start again today, based on your experiences so far, what advice would you give yourself?
1: It's to really experiment in the beginning because it's sometimes hard to like know what you want to put out there that also resonates with an audience, right? I think people say sometimes like, oh, you know, don't think about the audience. Don't think about the audience. But that's I, I don't know, I, I'm kind of of the mind that, yeah, people are out there and like you should consider them. So kind of try to figure out like what you want to say that also resonates with a lot of other people. Like being a creator isn't a vanity project, right? Um It's right. not just all about you. Like you have to think about what value you're giving to other people as well. And then with that, uh, kind of keep that as your North Star, because I think oftentimes, especially in the age of like virality and TikTok, I did get led astray sometimes. And I was like, oh, well, like, it seems like the algorithm wants me to give this content. So I'll give this content and it doesn't feel good at the end of the day, even if it does do well. And you gain a lot of followers who like expect something that you don't want to do or be um, right. from you know, at the end of the day. But I think in the beginning, it's so easy to like want to go viral. Like that's, I think in the beginning, like that's all your goal is. And then for a lot of people that is all their goal is, but um, kind of like to take a step back and like ask yourself like the meta question of like, why are you even creating? What is it like? You want to do what? What is it that like compels you to create whatever you're creating?
0: And do you have any advice for uh, other people of color considering becoming creators as to how to use their background, skin color, you know, cultural background, etc., as a strength uh, in their uh, pursuit?
1: I think it's really to just not hide who you are, right? In in so much of life, um, we've talked about this, we try to minimize ourselves a little to fit in with like what we think the system wants from us, right? Whether it's like resume names or um, just not talking about uh, some like cultural thing that you did this past weekend when people go around asking about like, what'd you do this past weekend? And I think you can like use those as your strengths and talk about it a little bit more. I feel like the videos that, I've done that have helped me connect the most with my audience is talking about things like how my parents treated money growing up and how that like impacted me. And all these things that I think if, you know, especially at Yale, I like really try to hide like at Yale because it was such a privileged environment. I was like, I cannot let anyone know that I have had a different experience. It was like almost scary. But um, I really do think that it's like, if you're feeling it, probably someone else out there in the world is feeling it too. And if you can share and help that person feel a little less weird about what they're doing, then that is awesome. And you would probably be surprised at how many more people have felt how you felt um, when it comes to your particular relationship with your background, your culture, your heritage, your parents, um, than you would think. And that's really like the beauty of it. Cause it's like, it's, the internet, it's it's creating like you don't have to do what everyone else is doing, and honestly, you're probably better off not doing it. Like you didn't go the traditional Hollywood like agent manager route, so you're not beholden to those same rules. Like let that be freedom rather than um, a restriction.
0: It's interesting, like just having these conversations. You know, to your point of like other people having similar experiences. Like every oh. single one of these conversations. The person I'm talking to talks about some experience that I can relate to. It's interesting to be able to like share those stories and to see that like, hey, it's not just me, you know, like yeah. a lot of people have had these experiences. This was a question that we got uh, on LinkedIn when I solicited uh, questions from um, my audience and mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I love it. For our white allies that are listening to this, like, do you have any advice for them on how you know, whether they're creators or executives, they can support creators of color?
1: So I think for uh, other creators, it's really to form relationships with Um, like creators of color and uh, share information, right? Like I think I'm really friendly with um, a white creator and we just get dinner all the time and talk about like her experiences in the industry and I share my experiences in the industry. And I think that like information sharing is really powerful because you don't know what's happening until someone else tells you about it. And for executives, um, I've actually thought about this question a lot. And I think a lot of it comes down to really directing the people who interface with creators of color to not try and like get the winning contract terms or like get the lowest rate. Um, it's, It's like you need to recognize that there might be an existing information asymmetry and kind of like help. Uh, not perpetuate the inequities that already exist, right? Um Sometimes it's really heartening when you do talk to a brand and they're like, okay, like, you know, I... Th- I think this makes sense, and it's like a higher number than you ever think. Um, or they send contract terms, and this is where the legal training comes in. I read, and I'm like, okay, no, these actually like are good. They're not like trying to screw me. When I have seen contract terms that like are really, really unfavorable to other creators, and I'm like, wow, if I know this only because I'm a lawyer, like how can other creators, especially uh, creators without access, without managers, without agents, like how do they really navigate all of this? There's more like minorities than like people of color every day, and i America, And I think with that will come increased purchasing power, increased like cultural influence. And I think like, you know, white executives, they just need to think about ever, all this as like long term research, right? Like, what is the overall goal, you know, in the future, just being aware that there will be a lot more creators of color, like consumers of color. So uh, this is a long term relationship and like kind of helping um, develop that beforehand. Uh, Rather than just like thinking about what we can do, like for the next campaign only.
0: I think in the last census, uh, the 2020 census, there were more people than ever who identified as multiracial. Yep. Um, And like, that's only going to go up. So I think it's a it's a really important point um, is that it's not just like we're not talking about charity here. You know, yeah, there's Uh, a good
1: business sense to it, too.
0: Yeah. Any other advice you have for creators? Anything I should have asked you but didn't?
1: Yeah, I I guess I would say that uh, being before like entering the creator life, I think the best thing one can do is really, really be realistic about what the financial impacts are going to be and like do your research on the realities, because I think, you know, this is true in law, too, where a lot of people jump in and they're like, I'm going to make millions immediately because they saw like X, Y, Z do the same. And I think getting a good lay of the land really helps there and helps you not uh, either like save up too little and then you kind of have to like scramble a bit more. But like be able to view this as like a long term game and like a game of longevity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I think a lot of creators have gone are just making stuff because they like making stuff, and mm-hmm. then suddenly they have an audience, or or they build an audience, but they don't really have a vision for how to like leverage that audience. I think that's starting to change. I think as yeah, more totally. creators are thinking about it as a business, but there's always going to be this kind of spectrum of like artist to entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think most creators are going to fall somewhere in the middle. Sounds like you're saying, you know, do your research, do your homework, and spend some time thinking about. other side of that equation
1: yeah Um, yeah like kind of balance the entrepreneur like Cree artist um balance because you will need some of both and if you have like zero percent knowledge in the entrepreneur angle then it's good like it could still work out but it's going to be a lot tougher and you're going to be like a lot more emotionally (laughs) up and down
0: well thank you so much for uh for joining uh, joining us yeah. on Girls of Color. So, the great conversation. I really enjoyed it and like also like making me think about a lot of things. Uh, hopefully, the folks listening will be able to empathize, will have experience that they can relate to, and will have learned something uh, from it. So, Cece, thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been uh, quite a cathartic discussion.
0: Yes. Uh, well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks for listening to Creators of Color. That was an amazing conversation with C.C. Shia. The conversations that we've had over the last few weeks, it's not really something we've ever talked about. It was kind of just like this implicit like, hey, I'm an agent of color and, you know, I want to work with you. And, uh, you know, they, you know, as Kingsley mentioned, like there was some level of implicit unspoken comfort there. And, you know likewise throughout my other roles. So now being able to have these conversations about people's experiences, I'm realizing like I'm not the only person who has felt the way that I felt. I found it very gratifying. I appreciate you for listening to these and for uh, hopefully finding them gratifying as well. And um, I'm looking forward to doing more of them. Creators of Color is uh, created, hosted, and produced by myself, Avi Gandhi, uh, executive produced by Trenton Barboza, edited by eric abel the theme song is written and performed by justine lightling if you like the podcast and want to support us please leave a comment leave a review subscribe follow like whatever it is for whatever platform you're on we are on youtube on spotify on apple podcasts and we distribute shorts to all the shorts platforms and so you can find us wherever you're trying to find us and please share it with your friends because the more people that listen uh that helps us sustain and continue the show. So thanks again for listening and looking forward to the next one.